Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Millennial Catholic. I'm your host, Andrew Miller, along with Father Scott. Hello, everyone. Hello, Father Scott. You um came from a meal, did you not? I did, actually, yes. Yes. A very tasty Sumptuous meal. Sumptuous meal. Ooh. I had uh, rustica, salashika, rustica. I can't say it. I had a good thing with some noodles. It sounds like Italian. It was. That's a dog. That is a dog. If it, is, if it shows up on the podcast, That's podcast okay if dog. the dog's on the podcast. We have a very interesting thing about our faith. Yes. As you mentioned in your homily oh, this yes. last weekend. Yes. We do something very bizarre. We are extremely weird. We eat our God. Yes. Yes. I did say that. That is yes. true. But it's true, though. We yes. do eat our God. Yes. Because when you say your little magical words over the... Correct. Spells. The, the host, mm-hmm. these little round circular things that Correct. I am holding in my hand. Don't worry, Correct. they're unconsecrated because I'm not a heathen. Mm-hmm. Um, they become the literal body and blood Correct. of our Lord Jesus Christ. Correct. It's really weird to think about. Yes, it is extremely weird to think about. If you really think about how weird that is, it is very weird. Because... Food is meant for substance, right? Like, you Correct. eat so that way you can continue to go Correct. about your day and not collapse and, and die, potentially. Correct. Why do we eat our Lord? Why do we eat our God? Yes. yes. A, a great question. So, this wasn't our plan. I, I don't think humans would have come up with something so strange. Uh, you look at other religions, they would never debase their God One, they would never crucify their God or have a story about their God being crucified. But on top of that, they would never have a story of, oh, God becomes your food. Uh, That would be, no one would do that. And in fact, in a lot of ways, Islam is a reaction to a lot of the incarnation of Christianity. It's like, no, you can't call God Father. There's no way that uh, Jesus died on a cross. No prophet of Allah would die on a cross, right? Right. it's the same thing with, with this. It's, this is absurd what you Christians believe, that your God becomes food and that is willing to become food for you. This doesn't make, this doesn't make sense in the context of the way we as human beings think, but God loves us so much that he is willing to become food for us. He's willing to be, sacrifice himself for us so that he can... He can nourish us with himself. Now, is that a spiritual nourishment or is that a, yes. a, a, an actual physical nourishment? That's a great point. So uh, Jesus set it up with these sacraments so that the physical informs the spiritual. So because we're a composite, composite of body and blood, we um, we don't. What are you doing? Don't, don't worry about that. I'll, okay. I will get to that in a second. So because we're a composite of, of body and soul, um, Jesus uses water to baptize. He uses bread and wine to become his body and blood. He uses sacred oils to confirm or to heal the sick. Um, there's a laying on of hands. There's an incarnational quality about our faith. So things go from holy, from, from being profane to being sacred through the intercession of it's incorporation into the church. So this is why we bless stuff. There, it, it's, um, it's a very incarnational faith. So uh, 
Yeah, I think that helps answer the question, I hope. Yes. Okay. The, the reason that I brought over a plate of bread. Yeah. Toasted up bread. Ooh. Kind of croutony things. Sure. And I have potato chips here. Oh, beautiful. I also have the hosts. Yes. Why is it, if it's supposed to be bread, right? Mm. Obviously, potato chips are potatoes. Yes. But I have croutons here. Correct. Why, why would you not be able to make these croutons into the body and blood of Jesus? You, you probably could. Um, you, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, <laughs> croutons is a little different. But, but um, for the body and blood of Jesus Christ, you have to use unleavened bread and wine. Ah, so really it's bread and wine, but we use unleavened bread because that's what they would have used in the Passover meal because you want to use unleavened bread because it was the celebration of Passover. You didn't have time for the the bread to rise. Um, So there's a a symbolism there with using the uh, unleavened bread. Uh, That's why it's thin like we have. Yes, it it has not risen. Right, but uh, I mean... It, it's it's bread, right? So why can't I just? I have I have cinnamon raisin bagels in my fridge. Why can't we use cinnamon raisin bagels to to become the body and blood of Christ? It has to be true bread. It has to be real bread. What does it mean to be true bread? That's a great question. Well, that sounds like bread. Uh, bagel sounds like bread. Uh, Wonder bread sounds like bread. Um, the 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 loaf I have inside. Yes, that's the bread. fridge. You could do bread. that. You could do that. But why can't I do a cinnamon raisin? You could do wine. You could do any kind of any kind of wine. Red wine, white wine. Why not liquor? Uh, it has to be fruit of the grape. I, I guess what I'm getting at is, why does it matter? If bread is bread and wine is wine, or as if... Then it doesn't. If it's true bread and true wine, then it can become the body and blood of Christ. Can't rice. You can't use rice. They tried that. What about like... What if I make cauliflower bread? Uh, it has to be made from wheat. But why does that matter? Because the church doesn't want to play make-believe. Uh, the church wants to do that which, um, that which Jesus taught. So shouldn't we be, instead of buying these little loaves, mm-hmm. little, little wafers mm-hmm. that we have that are Mm-hmm. almost see-through mm-hmm. it's kind of weird never actually looked at it that way before mm-hmm. um shouldn't we be producing these in-house then what do you mean if it's work of human hands what if we get these through a machine though they they make them the nuns make them the nuns the nuns even using a machine to some degree is using human hands to produce it it is manufactured from the word manus meaning one who uses their hands. It's where we get the word man from. It's the person who uses his hands. So we say mankind, for it's the people who use their hands. It's the kinds of people, the kinds of species that use their hands. Actually, it doesn't have to do with gender, which I think is very amusing. Food plays a prominent part in the Bible as well. Mm-hmm. Right? In the Old Testament, you have the, mm-hmm. the manna mm-hmm. that fell from the heavens and sustained the... This is where we also get our idea for the Eucharist as well. It's the manna, the bread from heaven. There's a lot of uh, typologies pointing towards the Eucharist, fulfilling a lot of this stuff. Okay, ex- explain. Uh, John chapter 6. Uh, it'll say, 
um, give us this bread from heaven. And then uh, they'll say, uh, okay, well, you know, Moses gave us bread from heaven. Where's, where's your bread from heaven, Jesus? And he goes, um, my, my, my bread is my flesh. And, and my, my bread, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So he's, he is, um, these are kind of foreshadowings. The, the manna in the desert is this bread come down from heaven. Jesus is the bread come down from heaven. And so we consume him as the Israelites consumed the bread from heaven, the manna, so that they might survive in the desert. We consume the bread of heaven so we might survive this valley of tears known as your earthly existence. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But you don't hear much about wine or drinking unless it's a feast, a festival, a Correct. wedding. Correct. So why wine? Is it because the Eucharist? There was a lot of wine used at the Passover meal. So there would actually be four cups of wine you would drink. One left over for Elijah when he's returning or something like that, I think it is. But you like there was a lot of consecration over the wine. There was wine at, at uh, Right, because that's, a, that's a, a feast, a, you know. Correct. And that's the feast that the Jesus was celebrating when he instituted his Passover. Right, because everything falls back eventually. Mm-hmm. What about the loaves and the fish? The multiplication of the loaves yes. and the fish? Uh, these are signs that Jesus is the one who has come who will provide food for his people, sustenance for his people. It's, there's a deeper reasoning behind that, which I'm not familiar with right now, and I'm, I'm blanking on that. Um, so there's that. Uh, who's the Lamb of God? Because you'd have a lamb at the Passover meal, right? Who, who gets sacrificed? Jesus. Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. That's what John said, pointing at him when he introduced him. Uh, John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus is the Lamb. You'll notice we don't eat any meat at um, Mass. Right. You'd be like, well, why don't we eat meat? Where's the meat? Where's. I, I guess it's just this idea of eating in church to begin with, right? Because mm. even like, you know. If you go to like a Baptist service or a Protestant service, like most Protestant services, yes. you know, minus minus the church was built to eat. You you spend two hours and there's a sermon, and then maybe you have like a little luncheon afterwards. There's no altar. Where do you offer sacrifice in the Baptist church? Where do the Presbyterians slay their God and offer him up? Their as wallets is a, a bloodless sacrifice. Where 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 does this happen? So. This, this, uh, no, the reason the churches are built is to have an altar for where they can offer sacrifice. And that altar that where the sacrifice is offered is the altar where we offer up the Eucharist. And then the purpose, the whole purpose of this operation is to receive the body and blood of Christ. The reformed churches, quote unquote, reformed, of coming from Martin Luther and friends, Luther and friends, um, they, uh, what they did is um, they, they have twisted what we, what we have been developed to do just awfully because they just say, this is a place where, so what, you go to like a Protestant church, I go there to be fed. And so like, what are you being fed with? I'm being fed with information. I'm being taught. And that's, that's not really what Jesus came to construct. That's just a synagogue, right? You go to the synagogue to learn stuff. 
Right. But 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 this is more uh, what Jesus desired, which was I'm going to offer you my body and blood to give you nourishment. Do this in remembrance of me. And so you right. To- so why do we do it every single Sunday then? Shouldn't it just be every once in a while? Because we do it if it's in remembrance. If we're doing it, why are we doing it every week then? Because that's what we've been doing since this whole thing began. It's every Lord's Day we celebrate the Mass. We actually do it every day of the week. So that's pretty remarkable. So, um, Yes, you and your house and your little side chapel. I do. That's true on Mondays, but but also in in the church. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, So this is what we do. I mean, to, to... Christianity without the Eucharist doesn't make any sense. Um, it goes from Jesus dies, Jesus rises, Jesus ascends into heaven. Adios, everybody. Good luck down there and study the scriptures. You know, I'm gone. I'm no longer present, right? It, right. But, in, but in Catholicism, we say, no, no, no. He still is present if you recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Most people, I mean, a lot of folks don't recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Right, it's because the way he established it to continue his presence uh, throughout all time. So the Catholic Church is more than just um, a place where people get together and remember stuff about Jesus. Catholic is a church where they encounter Jesus today. There's the story of the the two disciples. The road to Emmaus. The road to, you know... They run into Jesus, not knowing it is Jesus. They talk about Jesus to Jesus. Correct. And they invite him into this place that they're staying. Correct. It's interesting to me that they're the ones that say, they kind of offer, asked if he wants to be the one. Correct. To to say or break the bread. Mm -hmm. How, I don't know. Like, I don't think they understood how to celebrate Mass yet. So, because Road to Emmaus explains how to celebrate Mass. First, you have the word proclaimed, right? Jesus right. opened up the scriptures to them. And then he gives a homily. And didn't our hearts burn within us as he was opening up the scriptures to us? After the scriptures, then you celebrate the Eucharist. And immediately as, as they, when they recognize that it's Jesus in the breaking of the bread, he vanishes. Right, he's gone. He's Again. gone. He's trying to show them, yeah, after the crucifixion, you just don't walk away from Jerusalem I told you, do this in remembrance of me. This is what you should be doing. Um, and here's the other thing, because I'm going to be preaching about it this weekend. Right. Is um, we, think, we think of the church far too politically as an institution like any other institution. And in politics, you impose a power from outside. Education does this. So you go to your church. The, the preacher tells you something, you assent to what they're saying. They're like, yes, you're right. We're going to be left behind. And at the end of the world, there's going to be a rapture. And we need to believe all this stuff. And we're all going to die. And we're all going to die. So, so they, 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 it's, an, it's an imposition on, up from the external onto the, onto the person. The, but the way Jesus set it up was organically, where receive my body and blood, and I will transform you from within. I'm not going to indoctrinate you. I'm going to transform you from within. You're going to have new life within you. And so that's really kind of, that, that, that's the way Jesus set it up. And so, you, for instance, I'll give you a hypothetical situation. Okay. Imagine two scenarios. 
Uh, this is really going to be my homily for this weekend. But first scenario... It's going to come out after your homily for the yeah, weekend, so it doesn't matter. Oh, that's fair. Uh, so the, 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 the president, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, just imagine this. And the okay. Speaker of the House, imagine that they were all Roman Catholic. Imagine how crazy that would be. I mean, they are all Roman Catholic. I'm joking with you now. So, <laughs> so uh, and then you would think, this is great. So you, because these great political leaders are now Roman Catholic... How much longer do you think we're going to have to wait before Roman Catholicism becomes the official religion of the United States of America? Well, in the perfect world, never. <laughs> right. well, so, so we but, would we would become the next, you know, Roman um, right. empire. But I don't see the president and, uh, you know, and, and so all the bishops have to do is just call the president, I assume, and say, uh, Mr. President, these are the positions that the church holds you need to fall in line with the church's teachings. And of course, the president, the speaker of the house, and the chief justice of the Supreme Court would immediately lockstep together and follow the teachings of the church. Am I wrong? Very much so. Yes, very good. Yes, because, well, I mean, you have to think, as as much as I would love that, you know, Catholicism would be the national yes. religion, that's just not how this country was founded. Well, what I want you to see is, let's go back to Jesus's time. Okay. So um, the emperor was not Catholic. No. The governor was not Catholic. No. Nobody in the Senate was Catholic. No. Um, not only that. There were 12 guys sitting right. in Jerusalem that were. Our uh, Pope Peter, right, the first. Yes. Pope Peter the first was executed by the emperor. Our yes. Peter, Pope Francis, was invited to give a speech on the Senate floor or on the, on the House of Congress. So totally different things. Politically, our church today looks awesome. We're doing great. We're yeah. great. Kingdom of God is growing. Back in Jesus's day, almost ninety uh, percent of the bishops have gotten killed. So um, relatively quickly. So that looks like it's a failure, right? Jesus's time failure, our time success. But that's not how the kingdom of God grows. the The kingdom of God does not grow politically; it grows within. So all these people are getting killed, but the the kingdom of God, the, the and, and the Catholic Church, uh, is growing like gangbusters. During the time of Jesus, uh, whole droves of people are converting. Yes. Um, and uh, there's an authenticity there. Uh, today, the kingdom of God is seems to be shrinking, um, even though all these big, we seem to have so much political power uh, because so many Catholics are now in positions of great governance. So it just, it goes to show you that the kingdom of God grows organically, grows from within. The good news about growing from within no matter how things seems to change or who's in political power or who Caesar is, it doesn't really matter because what Jesus is doing goes deeper. It's like a seed going into the soil. Mm -hmm. You have no idea how it grows, what's going on beneath the soil, but it's drawing things into its life um, to help grow into something great. And he's been doing that for a long time. So the, the kingdom of God, it doesn't depend on you or me or anybody else. Uh, we just scatter the seed. It's just our time to scatter. And and hopefully things will be fruitful, uh, depending on the soil. So most because there's going to be some receptive soil and there's going to be some unreceptive. Yeah, soil. As, as he said in the parable, you'll yeah. spread you'll spread the seeds everywhere mm -hmm. and some will mm -hmm. some will just land on dirt paths and Correct. nothing will happen and some will be eaten by birds and yes. some will sprout but then be strangled by mm -hmm. thorns and some will develop a beautiful root system Correct. and and grow tall and strong. Correct. 
So that's what the Eucharist does. It helps the church grow organically from within. But I that only assumes that you are giving the Eucharist to those who have found good soil. Yes. There's an assumption here, and the church is always taught, that the Eucharist is not for everybody. Uh, the Eucharist is for those who believe. And if you don't believe, if you do not love God, and you're receiving the Eucharist, you are poisoning yourself. You're drinking judgment and condemnation upon yourself. Ooh. Yes. So uh, it is important that you are baptized before you receive the Eucharist. Uh, it's important that you are in a state of grace, meaning that you are not willy-nilly committing sins. A lot of people go to Mass and they just go up in the line because they don't want to feel left out. Right, and that, that was my next thing, is that we've gotten to this point that if I don't go up and receive, I, I'm not fitting in. Correct, correct. I don't... That's because that and and then and uh, that's that's a problem. How do we how do how do we break that then? How do well, we break people, this mentality, well, this mindset? Here, here's here's the bigger problem. Here's and I think you really put your finger on something. Um, people don't take personal responsibility for their salvation. It used to be back in the day, very few people went up to receive communion. They would maybe they would do it during the Easter season, but they they were so afraid of their sinful natures that they wouldn't, they wouldn't receive communion unless they knew they were in a state of grace. So they would go to confession and then go to communion. But they always wanted to make sure they went to confession first uh, because they wanted to receive the Lord in a, in a state of purity, in a state of grace. Um, and so that, but they took their responsibility for their salvation very seriously. Today, people don't. And you'll notice this, they'll say, why doesn't the church change her teaching on this? As opposed to, I need to con I need to conform to the church's yes. teaching on this, and the reason why is because they say it doesn't matter what I believe, it doesn't matter what I really think is true or not. What matters is whether or not the church lets me do what I want to do, uh, because they've they've externalized their salvation, their 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 their, uh, their conscience. Basically, they said if the church says it's okay, then it's okay. The church says it's wrong, then it's wrong. Well, what do you think? You know, and, and the good news about the millennials is they're they're more authentic, I think, than their than their parents. The millennials will say, "Well, I don't believe in the Eucharist. I don't believe in any of this stuff. I'm not going to receive communion." And I'm like, "Yes, that's exactly right. If you don't actually believe it, then you should not be doing it. And you're you're at least you have integrity, um, as opposed to just going along with everybody else because you're afraid of feeling left out." Yeah, there was a strange thing that happened in the church in the 60s where they said, how do we change the church to uh, fit in with the culture? And we've seen the disaster of that. Um, and so the question now has to become, how do we get the culture to fit in with the church? Uh, and that means the church has to hold her line and say, this is where we need to get to. This is going to this is going to be very. Um, but the problem is, I think, with people is they, they don't even have the reflection enough to say. What do I think is right and wrong? They, they don't use their conscience enough. They, they go on YouTube and figure out what's the popular opinion to have, and then I'm going to adopt that popular opinion. And then I'm going to call that popular opinion right and not really think about, well, what do I really think is the right thing to do here? But this actually isn't all that new. Um, you know, when, when King Henry VIII uh, had the act of supremacy back in his day, 
almost all the bishops, except for just a handful, went along with it, saying that the king is the head of the church, not the pope. And uh, so, and so we saw how so that when, it, when there's when there's real pressure applied, most people cave uh, and sacrifice and sell their souls. 